I had been hoping for a scorching hot day because it kind of fitted with the, <clears throat> the ambience at the well in that story. However, I'm going to have to help us all along the way and see if we can get there. <clears throat> so, just bear with me a while. Close your eyes and let's have a little imagine of that scene. It was a very hot day. Just about noon, with the sun high overhead, nothing moved. Mad dogs and Englishmen, I guess. Just me. I reached the crossroads outside the village. I was pleased to see a little wicker shelter, dark shadow under it. I could just make out a bench there. And I settled down, glad of the shade. Pleased to be a little less than roasting. I had a view out over the crossroads. There was a well there and a dusty path into the village. I could go there later when people were about again. Maybe find some food. I closed my eyes, took it all in. No sound but the buzzing of the flies, the cr crickets chirping. Nothing moved. A lazy, peaceful time. And I heard a noise. Someone was at the well. I looked out and I saw her there, lowering a big jar on a piece of string down into the well. Who'd come here at this hour, I thought. Goodness me, why not wait till the cool of the evening or go first thing in the morning? I could hear her sighing with the effort as she hauled the heavy jar back up to the rim of the well. Would you get me a drink? I started at the voice. It was a man's voice, a strong northern accent, a Galilean, I thought, probably a Jew. What on earth was he doing here? They usually avoided Samaria. And how come I hadn't noticed him before? He was just at the other end of the bench. Was he there when I sat down? Or had he slipped in while I dozed? Would you get me a drink? She'd started too. She hadn't expected anybody to be here, and it was so dark in here she hadn't seen either of us. I held my breath and listened. She'd picked up the accent too, said she was surprised he'd even talk to her, let alone ask for a drink. And then he said something strange about him getting her a drink. He'd got no jar, he'd got no string, it was a deep well. How could he get her a drink? Perhaps he was teasing her, just mucking about. But then I realised he wasn't joking. But he wasn't talking about a real drink. He's talking about something he called living water. Oh, that stirred a memory. I'd stayed with a Jewish family down in Hebron, and they'd used that phrase. They'd used it to refer to their God, the stream of living water. Is that what he meant? 
not like the Jews really to share their God. They were usually a bit more exclusive about their precious God and their precious temple down in Jerusalem. But then he told her to bring her husband too. And she said she didn't have one. And he laughed and he said in his broad accent, I know, five you've run through already with a sixth lined up but not married yet. She gasped. He hit the nail on the head. Who'd have thought it? I wondered what the village thought of this woman with a string of husbands. Maybe that's why she was drawing water in the middle of the day, avoiding them all. But he was still talking and I'd missed a bit. Something about not worshipping in the temple anymore. Spirit and truth, he said. Whatever that means. And it didn't worry her. She seemed to connect straight away and she said something about the Messiah. That's the Jewish hero who's expected to come and rescue them all, kick out all the Romans, as if. I who speak to you am he, he said. What? The Messiah? But before I could really think about it, all of a sudden there was a whole crowd of people out there. Oh, all those northern Galileans, all of them. I sat quiet in the shade out of sight and fell to wondering. How did he get here without me noticing? How did he know all about her? What's all this about the Messiah? I'm usually quite a cynical sort of chap, but this seemed somehow different, authentic. And then all the village came out. And then they all went back down again, excited, chattering as they went. And I sat there and wondered what would happen. What would become of that woman and her man? of that Galilean and his followers and the stream of living water. Perhaps I was missing out on something here. So I sat for a while, listened to the flies buzzing, pondered all this and then followed down to find food and company in the village before continuing my journey down to the south. Sometimes it helps us just to imagine ourselves as a fly on the wall when we read, especially in the Gospels. John's Gospel describes the miracles, the signs that brought people to faith. But here we haven't really recognised a miracle. And John doesn't describe this encounter as one of the signs here it's just Jesus' presence. He's there. He listens. He talks to the woman. She responds, asks questions. He listens. He talks some more. And she gradually realises just how completely he already knows her. He doesn't say much. But what he does say is transforming. If we'd continued the story... Our visitor in the shadows would have found out the effect of the woman's testimony when she went down to the village. We'd have found out about the effect of Jesus staying there for two days. This was a village of people that the Jews shunned and despised. But they were drawn to the living God the stream of living water.
What is it that persuades us of the truth? Here, it seems it's just the words of Jesus. His very presence among them. In the story immediately after this passage, there's the royal official whose son is very ill at home. And Jesus sends him home and says, your son is healed. And he goes. He hears the words and he believes and goes home. He has met Jesus. He's heard the word. Just as the woman at the well met Jesus and heard the word. And we might remember a story much later in John's Gospel of the disciple Thomas who heard that Jesus had risen but wanted physical proof. He wanted to touch. He wanted that assurance that we now will never have on this earth. It is another theme of John's Gospel. In our story here today, Jesus castigates. He says, those who hear and believe are especially blessed. And so it was with Thomas. His emphasis is always on hearing and believing. When he sends the royal official home in that next little story, saying his son is already healed, he also says, you people will never believe unless you see signs and wonders. In 2007, while this church was being reordered, Chris and I were in Perth in Western Australia doing a DTS. And one day in February, <coughs> we decided we'd got a day off, we'd go to the zoo. We hadn't really got used to the notion of Perth summer. It was very hot, probably just like the day in this passage. It was 45 degrees. It was scorching. We were stupid to go out at all, really. But when we got to the zoo, it's obvious that nothing else was moving. We walked round and every pen had got nothing in it because at the back they'd got shelter and they were in there. And we walked round and they got splendid photographs and writing about each of the, the animals. So we walked round and took pictures of ourselves with the pictures. We never got to see the animals. Tom Wright tells a, a story about a, a beautiful, picturesque old market town which commissioned new signs to go up all over the town, pointing out the historical and cultural features. And coachloads of visitors arrived and spent hours wandering round looking at the signs, taking pictures of the signs. They never got into the museum. They never got into the concert house. They just looked at the signs. And it's a bit like that in John's Gospel. There are just seven miracles or signs in John's Gospel. But what is a sign? 
assign points to something. When I stand at the crossroads and I see the, the sign that points to hand cross, I know it points to home. The sign isn't important. Home is important. The miracles are signs. They point to something. They point to the person of Christ. And that's what it is. We must be careful that we're not going round the zoo taking photographs of the signs. We're not going round the old market town posing in front of the signs. We need to be like the woman at the well who met Jesus, who talked to Jesus and asked questions and responded. Like the people in the village of Sychar, who met Jesus. He spent two days there, and at the end of it, they believed. He didn't work any miracles. He talked to them. He responded to them. He understood them. They met him, and they believed. So what should we do? We can't go back to the crossroads and sit by the well. We don't have that privilege. We read the word. We believe. We believe. That shifts attention away from the signs and towards the person of Christ. And that's where our attention should be. It's no accident that Paul sang, Jesus be the centre, and we sang too. Not just in reading the word, in singing God's praise, in worshipping him, we put him at the centre. Not the signs, the person. And that's how it should be. So in reading, in worship, in meditation, in prayer, Christ at the centre. Not wondering how the miracle was achieved, but marvelling at the presence of the Saviour. Listening, responding, asking questions, following. And you may remember, very near the beginning of this series, we picked up on one of John's themes. Hear, believe, follow. That is discipleship. Hear, believe, follow.